From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Hi, this is Mike Williams with another capital idea. This is the Defenders of Capitalism podcast, and we're back in studio with Mitch Whitus. Hi, everybody. Good to be here. This is the, the podcast where we talk about individual rights and the proper role of government. We talk about capitalism and dig deep on capitalism. Today, we want to talk about um, an, a topic that I thought would be interesting to just get your thoughts on and, and have a dialogue on, uh, Mitch. Um, this whole idea of fake news and how do people find a good source. I mean, it's really fascinating to me right now when we talk about trying to advocate for a you know good public policy and a more free world, um, whenever you're looking at any concrete issue, people don't necessarily know how to think about it, and they don't know how who to trust. Yeah, um, they don't know they don't they don't feel like they can get good information. They know they can't be an expert on everything, right? And, oh, and, yeah. and that's the one of the little plug I'll say here even for capitalism. That's one of the great things about capitalism is that having more freedom allows people to specialize and you don't have to be an expert on making your own food or, or uh, you know, making your house or yeah. build, you know, building a car or something Thank like that. Thank God for that. <laughs> <You and me laughs> Otherwise both. I wouldn't have a car that's or right. a house. That's right. We, we are all richer because of this division of labor economy, but it does have certain drawbacks in the sense of, okay, now who are the experts in, you know, uh, medicine that I should trust or who are the experts in nutrition that I should trust or who are the experts in finance that I should trust? Uh, well, who are the experts uh, on public policy or, you know, how I should vote or, or what's going on in the world, in fact? I mean, yeah. just being able to say, okay, here's a source of news that's, you know, they're reporting on you know any number of world or local affairs, and are they putting some kind of spin on it? Are they jiving me? Are they trying to point me in a certain direction? Are they trying to sell me something? Yeah, right. So I thought it'd be worthwhile talking about you know how do you how do you deal with this new world of all kinds of different sources out there, and who who can you find that you can trust? What's a trusted source? How do you go about that? I'm so glad that we're going to talk about this, Mike, because. I get so frustrated. I hear from people with really legitimate concerns about what you just said. Where on earth do I just get news that I can trust that ac- that accurately reflects the world? And then people say, the news was never so partisan. I remember sitting in front of the TV watching Walter Cronkite, and you knew that whatever Walter Cronkite said, that was the news. That's what was happening in the world. And they said, and that's why, that these are some of my Facebook you've, friends. You've got a little bit of a Cronkite affliction going there. Oh, well, thank you. I'll like take that. that as a compliment. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> and that's the way it was. But, <laughs> but they say, I wish things could go back to the way it was. I need to find a trustworthy news source. There's all this fake news around me. So that's why, and on Facebook, they'll, they'll put these posts from this website. That's why I go to American Freedom Eagle Donald Trump the com <laughs> to get my news. Because they that, can trust that source. And that irritates the hell out of me because, like, I understand your concern. You don't feel like you're getting good news. But how do we objectively say, you know, just because this is a site that is giving me exactly what I want to hear, maybe that's not good news either. Right. And it, what's fascinating about that is that it's, it's some people think that's an indictment of capitalism itself, right? Because 
what capitalism is so good at is, is trying to figure out, okay, how can I make money? How can I please you so you'll pay me? How can I provide a service to you or a product to you that you want and you want to buy? And so what's interesting is this whole phenomenon of social media and media changing and evolving. It's sort of taking advantage of the fact that people want to be in an echo chamber, right? Yes. Now, it's, it's, in one sense, I think that's, that's, that itself is not even true. I mean, my personal experience has been lots of people, most people I encounter, like a little bit of a challenge. They like a, a little bit of, you know, let me poke you and say, have you thought about that? But it's amazing how tribal they've gotten, especially when you talk about, when you talk about politics, is they, they, we seem to, and I, maybe I should say we instead of they, because maybe I'm, I'm, I can't put myself out there and say, well, I'm the, I'm the objective one, right? We all sort of seek out these confirmation bias providing uh, sources where they, we, we go into an echo chamber or we go into a, a situation of say, seeking people who validate what we already believe. Absolutely. I think we do that as human beings. And I heard some research recently. It said people will challenge their beliefs. They'll get into disagreements with others. And sometimes when those arguments are presented well, the person may actually start to be swayed. But any amount that that person is swayed by the other argument is completely offset, and then some by the tribe that one is in. Yeah. And there's no more impactful news source to you than what you view as coming from your tribe. Yeah, and it's even worse than that in some ways. It's better than that and worse than that in some ways. And this is the way I'd, I'd frame it. Uh, worse in the sense that I've seen some of that same research that shows the smarter and more expertise you have in a way makes you more susceptible to that kind of thing, which is, which is kind of kind of counterintuitive. You think of, well, if somebody's uh, a bright person, well-educated and sophisticated, they have the ability to be more objective. But it's weird because they, they think of themselves as being more objective, and that may make them less so. <laughs> and, I, and I have to, you know, I have to say, well, is this a mirror? Uh, is this, you know, is, is this something I should apply to myself? And I think everyone is healthy if they do that. Um, that's why it's important to actually uh, to be able to seek out, you know, uh, people who don't agree with you and challenge yourself. Find sources that are, are not just purely reflecting your own views. The good news, though, I think, is that we still have free will. I mean, yes. this is this is a a point of contention amongst academia, and and this is why I think we're we're kind of going down the path we are with regard to. You know, are there are do we believe in objectivity in, in the first place? And our whole our whole notion of what it means to be, you know, uh, thoughtful about something is sort of being discarded because of what academia has told us in the first place. You know, whole and there's a whole maybe a whole diatribe I should do on uh, postmodern theory and you know, that there is no such thing as truth. Um, you know, that objective reality is a myth. Uh, a lot of what uh, our our academics are trying to tell us today is just that kind of BS, if you ask me. Um, so it's an interesting dilemma we find ourselves in. Now, I'm I'm of the view that maybe Walter Cronkite was spinning things himself in the first place. Maybe there was it wasn't that that uh, nice little bucolic uh, uh, scenario where we could turn on and get you know get Uncle Uncle Walter to tell us the truth. 
Maybe he was uh, a tool himself, or maybe he was, uh, you know, putting his own spin on the news. Uh, um, now it's interesting because we have so many more sources, and and, and that is a good thing uh, if you're able to filter. And that's one of the things I would I would say to any of our listeners is, you know, question yourself whether you're able to whether you're able to filter not just filter for what you want to hear, but filter for is this a good source even if it's saying something that I don't want to hear. Can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. This idea that never have things been so partisan, never has there been fake news before. That's not exactly true, is it? Not at all. In fact, you know, if you, if you look at history, for, for someone who has studied history all throughout history, whether you go back to the, the Romans and the Greeks, you know, the, the kind of uh, gossipy thing that would go on or, or the kind of news sources that were there, it was all about propaganda and, and uh, spin in the first place. I mean, there's, there's, there's examples um, going back to the uh, Byzantine era. There, there was a historian in the 6th century that I, I wanted to point out and bring up. Uh, in the 6th century AD, uh, they said he was churning out dubious information known as, interestingly, as anecdota, <laughs> or anecdotes, right? Uh, that he kept secret until he was gone, uh, but he was using them underground to smear the reputation of the Emperor Justinian, um, even though he was sucking up to the Emperor all while, you know, up front. He was, you know, two-faced. Um, we, we've seen yellow journalism throughout history. Even back to our revolution, people think of, and it's partly because of how history gets written, but people think of, uh, oh, all these, these founders were uh, on the same page and they created this, inst- this constitution. And if they go back to even to the debates that they had in the Constitutional Convention or they read the Federalist Papers and then the answer to the Federalist Papers, you know, they'll see how contentious things were and how people were pushing their own propaganda at that time as well. Um, it's inter- it's, there's an interesting example of, of how people are subject to uh, believing propaganda. I mean, they're, they're, during the, the, the very darkest days of the Revolution, uh, the British concocted and really forged a number of letters supposedly from Washington about how he thought it was a lost cause, how he thought the revolution was just a disaster. And even though it was a disaster at the time for him, they were saying, see, he's even given up on it. And they forged it. You know, they, they actually wrote it like, like uh, Washington. And that was an example of propaganda, you know, fake news, so to speak, to the, to the American people. Your, your leader, your vaunted Washington is giving up on the troops himself. Um, so we have, you know, if you go back to the Civil War, there's plenty of examples. If you go out throughout history, there's never been all the way up until to Uncle, and including Uncle Walter Cronkite <laughs> and, and news sources today. There's always, you know, oftentimes, I shouldn't say always, there's oftentimes uh, people are putting a spin on things. Uh, how, what are they choosing to emphasize? And, and that's, that's an important thing about education in the first place. I mean, one of the things that people, if they are conscious about the educational process, realize is that just in that example of teaching history, could you teach, you know, a uh, 15-year-old or a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old or even a college student or even a, an adult, could you teach them all of history? Well, you couldn't because that's a lot and you have to select, right? You have to say, well, here's an important part of history or here's the, here's the important causes of the Civil War. Here's the key things about the French Revolution. It, you, know, you can ignore the rest, but we're going to filter it down to now here's what's important. Um, so you're going to condense naturally, and then what you decide to emphasize in that condensation process 
is crucial, and that can be used to to spin toward uh, you know your own particular viewpoint or something you're advocating for. That's why it's a you know it's a crucial thing for people, as I say, to learn how to filter. And and I think that's one of the things that our educational system is actually failing at and actually debilitating kids at not 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 showing them how to think critically and to use a good filter. All the more important today with so many different sources of, quote, news or, or so sources of information. When you have a decentralized system that we do now, um, where you can get opinions on the internet about any number of things and from any number of uh, sources, you have to be really good at saying, okay, this is credible and this is not. So how do we be a better consumer of the news, Mike? Do we go to American Eagle Media, DonaldTrump.us.com? Well, I think it's worth understanding what's being put on those that kind of platform. And you ask. You ask yourself, how credible is this? Um, you know, I think I'd like to back up first of all, because that's, you know, that's, I don't even think that would be claimed to be journalism, right? I mean, that's still, okay, here's the, the way the world works according to, um, you know, uh, Trump or, or his, his uh, followers, right? Do they claim to be journalists? And does anyone today claim to really be a journalist? I don't know. And, and that's, that's an important, I think, question to ask right now. Again, that does go back to the way academia has, has developed. It, it, think of it this way. If, if you are wanting some kind of objectivity in the sources of a news that you seek and you want journalistic standards, wouldn't it be important for those people you consider to be sources or journalists to actually believe in journalism itself or to believe in objectivity? I mean, if the whole school of journalism now is being taught, there's no such thing as objective truth in the first place. So we're all just power mongers and advocating for something. And this is how you do it is and call yourself a journalist. That's kind of poisoning the well, right? And that's what's happened. Now, again, there's a long story of why that's happened, because in my view, philosophy is what ultimate philosophy is what moves every other field, including journalism. But if you, if you have people who are giving up on truth itself and saying there's no such thing as objective truth, so there's no sense in trying to find it, it's all a, just a power struggle or a class struggle or whatever it is, you know, you know, if we want to go down the Marxist hole. Um, but I, I think that's one of the things that people should ask is, it, you know, is the, the source that I'm seeking, do they, do they even aspire <laughs> To be truthful, or do they dispense with it altogether? Um, you know, is there such a thing as a journalistic standard? And and you know, it's interesting. There is uh, throughout uh, history, there has been, and as that field developed, uh, and now again, I think it's re- regressing some. But as the field of journalism developed, you know, they they would adopt standards like you know, a journalist should be honest and must be truthful. You know, that it's it's completely unacceptable to call yourself a journalist. To, and but to report information that you know to be false, uh, and even to report things in a misleading way—that's the virtue of honesty. Uh, that any you know any self-respecting journalist should say, "I adopt explicitly," and they you know they should have some ob- objectivity and independence of thought, right? If they have a horse in the race, so to speak, um, you know if they have some financial incentive to report on something they should recuse themselves just like anyone who's who's got that kind of conflict should either disclose it and say well 
I have this connection. You know, I, I, I have a brother who was involved in that story, or, or I have a, a financial incentive to have this story turn out this way. Uh, they should at least disclose it, and if nothing else, they should recuse, them, recuse themselves. So where do you, or where are some of the places that you go for your news, Mike, and why do you visit those sites or read those papers? Well, I do try to, um, let, let me back up. I do believe that there is um, today a, a definite bias on the part of most media sources, most respected media outlets and sources against my viewpoint. Again, my viewpoint being one of freedom, capitalism, individual rights, people being able to do what they want with their lives as long as they're not violating the rights of others. Uh, this, whole, this whole idea that we talk about on, on this forum and others about uh, advocating for free markets and, and people being able to, to, to have that kind of freedom. You know, a rights-respecting, civilized society is built on that kind of freedom and the rule of law. So that's, that's my position. And I think most media outlets today don't have that same or share that same view, and they advocate for uh, a socialistic, more authoritarian, centralized control type of government and, and not free markets and not freedom in any real sense of the word. Um, but so I think there's definitely a bias. There's a media bias in terms of the, the established, quote, mainstream media, in my view. I don't know if you share that, Mitch. Um, but I think it's important to go to, uh, certainly to go to some mainstream sources. And, and the, the one I think is best to go to in that regard is probably the New York Times. Definitely leftist, definitely socialistic, not objective in terms of their uh, either either their editorial page or their re- basic reporting. <laughs> Ran but, a horrible story on sixteen nineteen project. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's there's <laughs> yeah. examples like that galore, and, and it's unfortunate because it used to you know they they have they had a reputation of being you know the nation's newspaper and and you know only printing the, the all the news that's fit to print and. And having that, uh, having those journalistic standards that I talked about before, they once had that. Uh, they, I don't think they do anymore. But they do have the resources. They have um, certainly news bureaus, people on the ground, reporters, um, the ability to actually go out and to look at the world, observe the world, and report on it. Versus, you know, much of what's considered to be news media today is you know somebody like us sitting here in a base <laughs> basement studio just popping off and and acting like they know what's going on in the world and and not necessarily having the resources to go to send a reporter out to see you know to to empirically see the facts as they are and so it's important that we have we continue to have in my view have uh, newspapers uh, television stations broadcasters who have, those kind of resources to be able to 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 send in different parts of the world to objectively or not maybe even not so objectively but to at least to observe the world and report on it and and as long as I've got some somewhat of a filter and and understand the spin that the New York Times is going to put on it I can I can gain value from that so that's one um, the flip side of that and it's not a lot better um, it's be- much better on the editorial page but not that much better on the reporting page is the Wall Street Journal. I think the Wall Street Journal is probably much better uh, as a resource than the New York Times, but it, it has the reputation and probably is 
you know, more on, quote, on the right, at least uh, certainly on the editorial page, which I, you know, is more what I would agree with. Um, I don't think their reporters are any better trained, any better or worse trained than, say, the New York Times. Uh, those are two big ones. Um, I think The Economist has such, such resources. Uh, again, I think it's a leftist spin, uh, the Economist, the magazine. But I, you know, one one other point I would make about this: all three that I've mentioned so far are actual. You know, uh, they still do print newspapers. They still do have long form reading ability or available, rather than these quick hit, uh, clickbait type of sources of you know headline news, which really isn't news at all. And I think that's one of the lost arts right now is that people have lost their attention span. They don't read books anymore. Um, so they listen for talking heads and, and headlines and, and, and very quick hit type of, okay, now I know something versus, uh, you know, some of these uh, periodicals where you do have to go and read a longer article to get something out of it. And I think that's something that's important. I think anyone who's wanting to be more objective in their own thinking about either politics or world affairs uh, needs to read more. I think that's uh, one important point. Um, I've got several other uh, resources, but I'm curious about some of the things you go to. Yeah, one of my go-to sources, some people find this funny, but I go to BBC, British Broadcasting. I go to their website. Sometimes I watch, they have their 30-minute news program on PBS as well. Sometimes I watch that. Mostly it's the website. I just really like knowing (laughs) what's going on in the whole world, and I found that the BBC is... A great resource for me to be able to do that because I think in the U.S., whether it's conservative or liberal leaning, oftentimes we get so focused on what's happening in our country, and and I I like breaking out of that a little bit, you know, trying to get perspectives. So I would say the BBC is one of mine. Also, Wall Street Journal. You know, I'm does the to BBC um, um, like? Do you think of that the same way you think of, I don't know, maybe you don't think of it this way, but I think of PBS in the U.S. similarly. Yeah, maybe. Both positively and negatively in both cases. Um, I think you're right that, that uh, well, in one sense, I, I definitely agree with you about the, the fact that sometimes if you can go to a, a news source that actually is not in the U.S. I mean, even like Al Jazeera in some cases, I think is a useful thing to go to. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was traveling overseas this past summer um, or fall, I was listening to sources. You know, they were in English, but they were definitely uh, sources from a local. And they and they would comment on U.S. affairs and U.S. politics. And it was it was definitely refreshing and interesting, even though I may not have agreed with it. It was a different yeah. perspective, and I think you're right about that. But I was going to say the fact that the PBS is certainly publicly uh, funded, and I think BBC is as well. It is, yeah. Um, that to me is a negative, even though I agree with you. Oftentimes you have people who actually take the news more seriously and take that, that sort of standard of trying to be more objective. And that's always interesting to me when you have someone who is paid by a government check um, and paid as to be, quote, more objective. You know, uh, our whole uh, public health uh, we, you know, when we went through this whole COVID thing, you know, you want those people to be objective. You don't want them to be necessarily um, trying to make money on the deal, right, or something yeah. like that. You want them to be, uh, you know, this is a good source of public health information. Now, in many cases, I think it's not at all. 
Um, and so I have a certain skepticism to any, any government-funded news source. But I agree with you that uh, PBS and, and BBC both seem to have uh, people who take their job more seriously about being truthful and objective. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And there, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is a BBC bias. I remember, this was like 10 years ago, but they did some story on the uh, anniversary of the Boston Massacre. And they wouldn't use the word massacre, <laughs> call it like an incident or something. The incident. You know? <laughs> and so it's, I don't know that I would always consider it totally objective, but. You know, that's, that's a fascinating uh, case that you bring up because it, there's so many. There's so many parts of the Boston Massacre <laughs> that are relevant to this very discussion, you know, because Paul Revere, I mean, he was a propagandist during the Revolutionary War, yeah. and he used the Boston Massacre to, you know, really fire people up, even though at the time the, the, the quote, patriots were in the wrong, which John Adams proved in court, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the famous quote, uh, uh, Adams' famous quote about facts are stubborn things, right? Right. Uh, that, that whole case is a case of propaganda on the part of the Americans with Revere and propaganda on the part of the British, even to this day. Saying, oh, well, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think that it's totally objective, but, you know, I, I will go there just to just to see, hey, what are what's going on uh, in Ghana? Yeah. And, and if you want to know and there's something big happening in Ghana. You might actually see that on BBC, yeah. and I just think that's interesting. I do too, and I think that's part of that idea of saying, okay, do they have the resources to put people on the ground somewhere? Um, you know, it, it's sometimes people think big media or big anything, big business, big pharma, big whatever is bad, and yep. that's not always bad. It's good to have uh, lots of resources to be able to do something right. And if now again, I don't think that that any of these resources that we've talked about so far, even the ones I like to read. Uh, necessarily have as explicitly clear of an idea of what objective journalism is as I think they ought to. Some other examples that I like, and, and this is along the lines of what you're talking about, I think C-SPAN is a pretty interesting uh, source of news. And again, long form, uh, sometimes people think, oh, that's kind of boring. You know, I don't want to watch the, this uh, this uh, C-SPAN thing. But I, I find it really valuable, especially uh, when I'm watching you know, uh, political debates or when I'm watching hearings, when I'm yes. watching Congress, you know, I think they do a really good job of just saying, okay, let's, let's, let's set it up. And, you know, even setting up cameras or angles or how, you know, what they decide to focus on the lighting can make a difference in how someone actually is taking in the information. And I think they're more, more, uh, you know, more about like, let's just show what's going on in Congress or with the hearings. Well, I agree. And it, and if you can, oftentimes they'll just show uninterrupted a whole hearing. And I know it's boring, but if you truly want to see and hear yourself what news is being made, watch that. Yeah. Rather than having that filtered through CNN right, or Don Fox Lemon News or, or John Hannity. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you know, God forbid. So, you know, I, I'm not saying do it every day. You might, I, I don't, you'd probably die of boredom, but every once in a while, especially if there's a really big debate going on, watch it yeah. yourself and make your own judgment. Right, right. You're getting it unfiltered and, and they're just saying, okay, putting the camera on versus actually every five minutes trying to interpret it for you and spin it, spin it the way they want it spun. Um, I like the recent, um, Jonah Goldberg and, uh, Steve, is it Stephen Hayes with the dispatch? 
Um, I think those are the two guys who started that. I think the Dispatch, and they've got a number of different podcasts, blogs, uh, uh, regular uh, um, daily emails that are trying to digest the news for you. I think they're pretty good, actually. I, I know uh, some of my friends who are who are pro pro Trump and and pro uh, conservatives uh, think that uh, uh, Jonah has has somehow lost it. But I, I actually think he's actually really being objective about what's gone on for the last several years. And I think I applaud what what he's doing with that. I was going to say I think. Didn't he kind of went off from National Review and he said he just wanted to make something? He said he's not worried about being Trump skeptic. He's just anti Trump, kind of, yeah. is kind of what. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is people think, okay, well, he's, he, he has, and they might accuse you or, and or I of this as well. Uh, we just have a, such a Trump bias that we're not being objective. Um, I think if people read him, if they give him a chance and, and read, some of the work that those guys are doing, uh, they'll get, at least get a perspective. Uh, maybe they won't agree with it, but and that's part of the whole issue is you can't necessarily go to one place. It it might be nice for us to have, you know, uh, be spoon fed uh, by one source, you know, uh, a perfect balanced diet of uh, of the truth, whatever that might be. But that's just not real, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure it ever could be. Um, you know, each of us is an individual, and we have our own life experience. And you know, our our job is to be our. I believe our each of our, our jobs itself is to be objective about the world, not just to say, you know, can I get the objective truth from my dad or my mom or my teacher or the church or the or the, the New York Times, but you know, can I do the digesting? Can I think for myself? Can I actually? Um, I, again, I can't make Ebzer, I can't go to Ghana all the time and, and know what's going on there, yeah. or, or I can't go to Washington and actually witness live the you know the Senate hearings for this uh, Supreme Court justice, and I can't uh, necessarily go up to Montana where there's a fire and know what what caused the fire or observe that, and that's why we need these specialists. But I do need to be able to figure out a way to 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 take in different sources and to digest the news. Many of the, our listeners know that I'm a fan of Ayn Rand, and I am absolutely an objectivist. And there's a number of ob- objectivist resources out there. Now, it's interesting. They're objectivist, and they claim to want to be objective. And so I think that's a decent clue of saying, well, maybe they actually have a decent take. Now, maybe they don't, uh, and there's no guarantee that someone who says, you know, hey, I'm going to beat my chest and, and call myself an objectivist, that I will be objective about the world. But there are a number of people that I think are, are pretty good in that regard. Uh, certainly, uh, our friend of the, of the show and one of my associates, Yaron Brook, has his own show, and he he covers the news quite a bit. I, I would advocate for our listeners to listen to Do- Dr. Yaron Brook. It's called the Yaron Brook Show. He, he's actually now doing a morning kind of pure newsy type of thing, and I think that's worthwhile to listen to. You may or may not agree with him, but uh, I think he can be objective. I think Brad Thompson's The Redneck Intellectual, I don't know if you've heard of Brad. No, I have not. But he puts out a newsletter. It's not nearly as frequently as uh, Dr. Brooke, but Brad Thompson is uh, um, uh, a good friend of capitalism. He runs the Clemson Institute for the Study of Capitalism, and he has his own personal blog that's called The Redneck Intellectual that I find fascinating. And he does not always agree with uh, me or, or other objectivists, so it's kind of interesting to hear his perspective Another guy, uh, Bob Trzinski, Robert Trzinski, uh, T-R-A-C-I-N-S-K-I. Uh, he's a good writer. He writes regularly about public affairs. 
um, the, the objective standard. So I'm plugging a bunch of, you know, quote, objectivist stuff out here that I think are, are useful for people to get a perspective. They're not, they're not major media sources at all, but they, they come at, uh, they certainly have a pro-individualism uh, perspective, and, and, and I think that is refreshing in today's world especially. I like uh, Barry Weiss. I don't know if you read Barry Weiss's no, Substack. She's a former, you know, she would, I would be normally call her more on the left. She was a, uh, a reporter and then a editor for the New York Times. And uh, she saw some of the, the way they were reporting things on COVID and so forth and broke away from them. Um, and now she has her own Substack, and I find her refreshing and interesting. For science, I like the our world in data, and I like uh, there's a company or a, an organization online called uh, Leaps uh, org. It's a science, uh, mainly science reporter. So th- there's a number of sources out there, and I think you know if a person looks, they can find uh, information that that is useful. And again, there may not be one source, and hopefully it isn't just you know you know, an echo chamber for, for what you already believe. And it, hopefully it's challenging your own thinking. Um, but I think a person can get more and better data and information and digestion. One thing I'd like to bring up too, Mike, this reminds me, I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger who run Berkshire Hathaway. So I'd say, well, what does this have to do with the news? But a few things that they focus on a lot. One, I think, Charlie Munger said, I do not know any wise people who do not read. And that's one thing you've been bringing up, all these sources that you're reading, you're watching, you're trying to, at the end of every day, be a little bit more wise than when you woke up. Yep. And I think that's really commendable. And I think that's that's part of the problem is that people aren't really focused on <laughs> becoming <laughs> wiser throughout their day as much yeah, as they yeah, can. Yeah, it's interesting you bring those two guys up because uh, you know, they're heroes of mine in the investment world, um, and they really are very, well, they're incredibly intelligent people and have done it right. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't always agree with their politics. Oftentimes, uh, Warren Buffett uh, has entirely different views of the world uh, in terms of what public policy should be than I do. Um, I think oftentimes he's a great capitalist, as many are who don't understand capitalism as well as he ought to. Uh, far be it for me to be too big a critic of those two guys. Um, but I think, so there, there's some differences I have with regard to their politics, but I, I agree with their, you know, the, the fact that they're, you have two people who are observing the world and they both are, are huge advocates of reading a lot. And it's interesting that you talk about Munger because he, he's probably, I mean, most people who know the two of them say that he is so much smarter than Warren Buffett. They say it's scary how smart Charlie yeah. Munger is. And he says, I wake up every day just trying not to be an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of his whole, one of his whole philosophical... I'm not sure I quite agree with this. I see this point. Um, I, I argue about this in my own mind, but this whole tenet of saying, you know, uh, life is about just not making mistakes. And, I, and if I can just keep from making big mistakes, then I'll be in good shape. And that's that's how he's been successful as an investor. Um, but I agree with you. In fact, I, I actually am glad that you brought that up. There are so many people who who I read who are in that field um, who are longtime uh, students of the world. Um, to be a good investor, you have to understand uh, 
a little bit of how the world works. Obviously, there's some luck involved, and you can get lucky. And but to be a good long-term investor to succeed, you have to understand about you know cause and effect and how how different companies work and and the products that they're 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 selling and the the consumers and the the competition. You have to really be a student of what what's going on in the world. And I there's a number of the. Uh, Great investors, uh, Sir John Templeton. Uh, I could uh, a guy named Vandenberg. Uh, there's there's so many people that I read like that uh, that are observers of the news. Yes, and uh, oftentimes in a business sense, in an investment sense. But uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think those are great sources for but for wisdom. I think another thing that they also do that is maybe even more relevant to our conversation. Warren Buffett calls Charlie Munger the abominable no-man because he'll often rely on Charlie Munger to provide the, I guess you could call it, disconfirming evidence for, you know, maybe one, maybe he'll say, well, I want to buy this company. And Charlie Munger says, here's a billion reasons why that's not true. And I'm not saying always think of a billion reasons every time you see something on the news why that's not true. But it's a really good reminder of just asking yourself, you know, does this just pass the sniff test? You know, I'm I'm watching this. I agree with it. But maybe where could I go to maybe get another source and just hear it and at least get that other perspective in my mind? And we know that that mindset works. Yeah, the healthy skepticism. Yes. Absolutely. And that's what that's partly what we mean by by you know, critical thinking skills or being able to think for yourself, being able to say, okay, well, this sounds pretty good right now, but what is it that would make it not sound so okay? Um, and again, this is back to my my view of what capitalism is. It's a, it's a system that respects minds. So so that means you got to use it. you got to use your mind. you got to say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm someone who's selling ideas and I'm buying ideas and I'm selling products and I'm selling products. I'm selling my services and I'm buying services. And you know, what do I buy? What is it about these ideas that I buy and why do I buy them? And maybe I should challenge the premises upon which I buy them in the first place. And I think you're right that, that uh, Munger is, is great at that from a, from a healthy skepticism saying, okay, here's, but again, it helps to have that kind of uh, intelligence as well. Um, but that's, that's the other part is you can find people who are smarter than you. And, and if they meet the test of your reason and the test of time, where they they continue to build trust, then they are what you call a trusted resource. They're someone who you say, well, you know, maybe he doesn't know everything about everything, but let me see what his take is on this. Um, and especially if, if he might disagree with me, uh, that might be healthy for me to say, I respect this person's mind or the intelligence or the process that they go through thinking about the world, and they disagree with me, so let me pursue that. Why do they disagree with, with me? Um, you know, so having... Certainly a number of different sources and diversity of sources um, that, that you're looking for is, is important in terms of the, the news. I, I think it's also, you know, uh, you know, the tone of the source is, is also important. You know, just your example of BBC versus, say, uh, you know, someone on Fox News in the evening. Um, are, they, are they trying to incite emotion and you know, get you riled up about something, or are they trying to you know show you what's going on in the world? Are they? Is it more? Is the tone more about you know? Here's a dispassionate view of the world and the facts, or 
no, here's what you should be enraged about. Yeah. We're not talking about Tucker Carlson, of course. <laughs> no, no, no. 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 Um, I, think that, I think that's important. And, you know, that term clickbait, um, you know, the, uh, the studies have shown how we uh, are so susceptible to that sort of a chemical thing that goes on in our brain when we click on things. And, and it's sort of feeding us maybe, again, what we want to hear or, or some kind of excitement in our world. Um, and we, we have to be better filters of that, I think. And if we could talk, too, for a second, Mike, there are some websites, news sources, that are not news. I'm always fascinated by some more, you know, left-leaning people I know. They cite Mother Jones. You know, Mother Jones is giving you commentary. Mother Jones is not giving you news. Tucker Carlson, the same thing. He's giving you commentary on things that have happened, maybe haven't even happened. I don't know in Tucker's case. He's he's quite into the angertainment business. But, you know, understanding that just because they're telling you what you like to hear in a way that seems easily digestible, they may not actually be giving you the news. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think it's important for people to keep in mind that they're selling something. Um, are they really selling the news? Or are they, you know, are they trying to keep you glued to the TV because you're having some emotional reaction so that you'll watch that commercial or, or, or the, whoever there's, you know, whoever's sponsoring them will have your attention for some, some amount of time afterward. And again, uh, I'm a huge advocate of capitalism and commerce and advertising and selling. Um, that's not the problem. The problem is when people don't realize that they're being sold yeah. and they don't realize, or, or they think that that's, you know, somehow that that isn't the way the world works. If they realize, if you, if you realize, if you go into every transaction or relationship realizing that someone is persuading you or has a, a certain perspective, and you can independently judge that perspective, uh, you, you're going to be a lot better off. And you know, I think that's that's a, a really good example. Uh, Tucker's. Uh, I don't know that he actually admits that. I, you know, it's it's funny because the old. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, who's no longer around. I mean, he he was um, similarly, uh, oftentimes trying to incite people their emotions oh, about yeah. what was going on in the world. And I actually thought, oftentimes, he had some intelligent things to say about what was going on in the world, not as a reporter, but but he would say, you know, look, I'm just an entertainer, right? Um, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people on cable news, talking heads, who won't even uh, be so honest as to admit that. You know, they, they, they act like they're serious uh, journalists or serious providers of knowledge and wisdom, and, and they really are just selling uh, emotion. Right. Well, anyway, uh, hopefully this has been helpful uh, for our listeners. Um, I know I've enjoyed it, Mitch. Any other last comments you'd say about trying to find, um, you know, good sources uh, to overcome this issue of fake news or, or the struggle to, to get some... Uh, good information to make make better decisions with? I don't think I have anything too too deep, Mike, other than what we've spoken about already. To just get more worldly wisdom in general, read up on Buffett and Munger. You <laughs> won't regret it. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would definitely say re- read up on those. Uh, a- again, as well as if, if anyone is interested, I could give them even even more sources of uh, great investors who write a lot about the world. Um, 
In fact, reach out to me at michael at defendersofcapitalism.com. Please continue to listen to the show, like the show, uh, share it with your friends. We want to build an audience here. We want to build an audience of people who are advocating for the same thing. We are a civilized world, a rights-respecting world, a world where we're growing in our freedom and, uh, and flourishing in the trade that we have, the trade of values that we have with each other. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you listening. And this is Michael Williams, the Defenders of Capitalism Project, signing off.